We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. Hello, welcome to episode 37 of the Looks Like We're Lost podcast. I am Dustin Redazel, and joining me is the second half of the Lost Boys. If you were a horse, he'd rather just have the worms. It's Tommy Cooksey. <laughs> just give me the worms, baby. I, you know, I think I'm going to start a pet store, um, specialize in worm farms. Call it I Got Worms. It's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you been, man? We missed last week. We missed last week. It was uh, selfishly for me. I had a fantasy football draft, which sounds super childish when I say it out loud, but everybody does it, so I don't care. And then I had to watch the Cowboys lose on Thursday night. So, yeah, yeah, man, I've been good. Uh, marathon training's going great. Chiefs got a W, which I, th- which I uh, think we'll get into a little Joe- bit with Trent. Yeah, yeah. Happy to talk about. Um, Chiefs. Yeah, I saw you, you know, doing the reverse Joe jinx Rogan at halftime is- for the Chiefs. Oh yeah, you have to. You have to put the good karma out. And yeah. so there's there's a double side, two sides to the coin on my Chiefs fandom separated from Kansas City, which is if I watched them with my dad, I would care way more and be way more stressed out. But left to my own devices here in North Carolina, I can get to halftime down 12 and just be like, I love the Chiefs. No big deal. Yeah. And then it all turned around. <laughs> Zero stress. But uh, yeah, man, all things are good here. But, you know, I, I would normally just keep on talking for like seven more minutes. But since we have a guest, I'll let you do the introductory yep. work. Yeah, perfect. So for today, so I, I've noticed a, a, a thread of our guests, and I don't know how many guests we've had at this point, but there's definitely an overwhelming number of guests that I've invited that are dudes that I've picked up at the gym. (laughs) It's like sort of my go-to. It's like my go-to. I think it means, uh, in my earlier days, I probably spent too much time just clanging and banging the weights, man. Um, with really not that much to show for it, but you know, that's what it is. Uh, so today we, um, we actually have, so it's a great follow-up. So, uh, we kind of have a tripod, me, uh, Garrett, who was on, uh, two weeks ago and Trent. Um, we've all, we were all kind of arriving at the same time at Suisponte and it was the same thing as, as with Garrett where Trent and I would always kind of yuck it up before classes. We'd yuck it up after classes. We always have like text threads and Instagram threads going and I'm like, man, I haven't had the dedicated time to just sit down and, and pick his brain about some things. And he's similar to you, Dusty, in that he's, he's extremely well read. Like I, I love bringing people into like my sphere that do a lot of thinking because it helps me over the hump on some of my thinking. So without further ado, yep, we have Trent Talent. Hello. What's up, dude? How you doing? How you doing, man? Oh, dude, I'm all good. I'm all good. I'm wearing pink and 
wearing pink and blue today. So, uh, you know, I only have like three tie-dye shirts. My wife says the tie-dye is in. So, uh, that's this, this, I feel like this is a really good look for me. It's chubbies, which I think, you know, I know that Trent can get behind the five, five and a half inch inseam. I'm a big fan. That's a throwback to my orange beach, Alabama days showing thigh before mm-hmm. we even had thighs to show. That's right. That's right. See, look at this. I don't know how this hip bone connects to here. It's just like sinew, but it's but it's a leg, and I'm proud of it. I'm damn proud of it. That's so, all that time at the gym. You know, it's so funny that you say that about connections at the gym. I've been to multiple weddings, one just in May, where someone in the series of speeches asked, if you met your significant other at the gym, raise your hand, and a lot of hands go up. That's phenomenal. It feels much more healthy than, like, did you meet your spouse at the bar? It feels like a healthier way to go about it. You spend a lot of time in there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I did not meet my spouse there, but that's probably better that hey. way. <laughs> she, she came for a while, though. She, she was really crushing it there for a while, too. She was really good at CrossFit. Um, she's she is athletic and she is strong and powerful and she does not care at all. And she just decided, I don't like this anymore. And that was that. Um, Yeah. You know, Annie, Annie kind of did a similar thing where she, she was really into it for, for quite a while. Obviously that's where we met. And at some point, um, she was like, yeah, I think I'm just done with the weights. I'm done with the pull-ups. Um, Still does kind of the hit training, but just not not as big of a fan of like the barbells and all that stuff, which I yeah. get, totally yeah. get. So, so Trent, one of the things, and I, and I mentioned this to you before because I know uh, if you're anything like me, you like to give a little bit of prep before uh, before a conversation. And so, you know, one of the questions we always ask, it's, it's kind of a kickoff with our guests, is what do you do? And we like it because it can take us in a lot of different directions. Um, and, and sometimes people just say, it's my job, whatever my job is. But, you know, being friends, seeing you on Instagram, seeing a lot of things that you're engaged in, let me open it up to you. What, if someone comes up to you and says, what does Trent do? What do you do? Yeah. What do you say? I struggle with that question so much. Uh, that's, if you want to uh, incite anxiety, put me into a situation <laughs> where I'm going to be asked that question. And I laughed really hard when you when you sent me that before. Um, so, and this, this might turn us into just this whole other conversation. Right. And I think that free flowing, um, like what you do is not necessarily categorically different from like, what do you identify yourself as? Um, and I have struggled to state that. And I think it's because for fear of somebody that actually is one of those things coming along and be like, no, not, not that guy. Right. <laughs> and I think there's, a, I, I probably do that too. So I understand it, but, um, and, and maybe part of that is rooted in, I've had a couple of jobs where it was kind of hard to explain what I did. If I just told you what my title was, it didn't mean anything really. And, um, maybe it was particularly niche and I'd have to talk for 30 minutes to tell you what it was. Um, kind of doing right now but um but anyhow uh i kind of think of 
everything that's important to me is one of my jobs. And I think that you can, you know, serve a certain number of those masters at any given time. And I've spent a long time trying to get those things that are important to me and that support my goals for me and my family, um, you know, to function in such a way that at any given point, I can just work on whatever it is that needs my attention and that I most want to be working on at any given time. So there's no real distinction throughout the day between am I, uh, am I, you know, whatever, doing one of those jobs. So, um, I mean, my main profession is I, I work for a, a major academic health system in the area. You can narrow that down, and I don't, you know, speak on their behalf at all here, but um, – and I manage uh, I manage capital for one of the hospitals within the health system, um, and then I run a small uh, sort of uh, investment real estate private equity portfolio that takes up a good bit of my time. Uh, I'm an athlete. I sit on a nonprofit board. I'm a dad and the CEO of this household and a husband. I'm a dog trainer, a landlord, um, graduate student. So um, I do a lot of things. That's why I struggle to say what what it is that I do. Um, and I love that. Again, anyone that does any of those things would come along. You know, I saw this meme last week. Um, that it was like this LinkedIn flex sort of post. And then it was signed by like something about the hustle and neglect your family and this, that, and the other. And, and it was signed like a middle manager at state farm. And none of there's anything wrong with being a middle manager at state farm. That's what I feel like in, uh, you know, in talking about, right. The, the hustle or the job, but, um, Yeah. That's what I. Yeah, that's what I do mostly. <laughs> I think anybody with with, mul- with with a multitude of interests, and that's why that's why we like asking that because when we could go down any of those paths, and they're all su- you know so interesting. Yeah, and it's it's funny that that most of the time, you, what our job is is probably the least interesting part about ourselves. Like it's like, mine's easy. I'm in sales. Like it's just like you know, there we go, boom. That's what I do. Um. But then you start to, like that's it's one of the reasons me and Dusty like doing this is there's so many more layers to it, um, yeah. and and yeah I mean it's it's you're right they they all one of the things we're all working towards is is creating harmony among all of them so that you're not too in each one. Um, it gosh, is I, tough when you run across. Yeah. A, I was gonna say it's tough when you run across a specialist because I'm like. I got a foot in a lot of worlds and like, for example, I'm, I'm training for this marathon and we had a guest on early in the podcast, a guy I'm friends with Sandy Roberts, who, you know, he once ran a 401 mile, like he's a real runner, right? And I think something that happened, we were at a wedding together once and I happened to be sitting at his table and it was the first time I had started running. I was training for my first marathon and I felt really embarrassed about it because I knew my time was going to be awful and I knew I was slow. 
And I was joking around with him and saying, well, you know, I'm a runner. I'm part of the community now. So, uh, and he seriously, and I, I owe him for this, very seriously said, it's like, that's not a joke. Anybody who goes out there and experiences the pain of the road knows what being a runner is. I was like, man, I feel so, so liberated good. by I feel so liberated by a guy at that level saying something like that to me that it kind of freed me up like, you know what? Like I'm I'm not a great writer, but I've put the hours in. I have spent a lot of time at the keyboard. I've I have earned the right to carve out that identity for myself but it is tough when you uh there's like all that fraud oh yeah well you know what you just said though about carving out time putting in putting in my time and all and um in in certain specialties like you know there's there's just a level you you can't reach right like i'm never going to run a four minute mile right but in a lot of the things we do uh, outlasting the whatever the average or the the meat of the distribution will put you out in the right tail over a long enough timeline at, to the point where you you are the standard for whatever it is that that you're identifying as I think and um, I know I never achieved that in endurance sports uh, either but um, but there are other things that I think that, you know, that it maybe lends a little better to. Well, well, this podcast will will uh, will show that I I did run a around five minute mile in Vans and probably jean shorts in middle school. So I have been to the top of the mountain. But Trent, it's funny you say that too because it's on the record. <clears throat> it's on the record multiple times now. Um, just outlasting like we talk about this all the time dusty dusty lives by the credo the road narrows like as you as you just keep doing the the monotonous and it leads you to the miraculous and um you know one of the things i look around that I, I don't know how long i've been doing crossfit at this point i'm never going to go to the crossfit games i'm never going to win a local competition I, I wouldn't even win a competition at our at our gym like like you know that's that's the level of crossfitter i am um, but you also begin to look around at greater society and you see these rates of obesity and heart disease and these things. And you're like, when you're in the, the community and in the sphere, you're like, man, look at all these healthy people pursuing activity and they're making a dedicated conscious effort every day to come in here and do it that you just keep chipping away and you chip away and chip away. And that then becomes a kind of a gold standard in and of itself. Right. Um, I never, it's one of the reasons, you know, Dusty, you talked about like, you know, once you've experienced the suffering, then you are part of the community. It's one of the things that, that drew me to, and, and, you know, I, I don't go to Suspente anymore, but one of the things that I love that they, that they did is they didn't call people clients. They didn't call people, you know, whatever. Everyone was an athlete. Like you are an athlete. Um, I do the same thing now. Now that I'm a coach of the next generation of LeBron James's, molding uh, I, young I, minds, I am man. Um, I always have like like laryngitis on Monday because I'm like yelling at five and six year olds over top of whistles, and then a game next to me. Um, but you know, I, when I email them and when I talk to them, when I email the families about the games, 
I always call the kids athletes. I'm like, you break, make sure your athletes come with jerseys. And I think that slight distinction is, is, is crucial because it, it does become an inclusive group and it's empowering for sure. So I don't know. That's my tangent on that. Uh, w- one of the things, I, and I, maybe we'll just go right in, Trent, if you're cool with it. So Dusty, Trent, I don't, I don't know how long it's been now, probably two or three years, but you trained for, was it, was it a full Ironman? Yeah, I did a half um, like for practice along the way okay. um, yeah because it's kind of daunting um I mean, i've done some i've done some pretty pretty hard stuff but um is that the hardest like is, 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 like, is, is that the pinnacle of the iron man is, is that the hardest thing you've ever done physically and maybe mentally um well uh, well you gotta you have to define hard um Cause like it, it was hard, but like I was really well prepared. Yeah. The whole process, the commitment to the training, the, yeah. the, the hours in training and doing things that maybe, you know, maybe you aren't a great runner. Maybe you aren't a great swimmer or biker, like having to really yeah. hone, hone those in. Did you have a coach or were you kind of just doing it based on a program? No. Um, well, let me let me just like spoil it a little bit and take all of the fun out of this. No, man, it was the this biggest the no fun l- podcast. <laughs> the biggest letdown. Um, the biggest disappointment, probably, of anything that I've ever done. Um, I you know I I walked across the finish line, and I and there's a there's a video out there that's somewhere, and I put my hands up on my head and took a big breath. And like, I can remember thinking like, that's it. Not Mm -hmm. because it wasn't hard, but just because I, I was not overwhelmed with a feeling of accomplishment. I, I had, uh, you know, I had passed an elite cyclist coming back on the, on the bike. And I was probably about 40 or 50 miles in and they were like 90 miles in and they were going like, 28 miles an hour and uh which is we just super fast on bicycles yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and going like oh my lord like i i think that's another thing is like if, it, it's been so long since i've walked into a crossfit gym for the first time and right and when i did crossfit was kind of new and the stuff that i saw there was amazing but dude if you walked into just a random class at most gyms now you know you're going to see four or five guys doing muscle ups and there's going to be girls with abs and, and there'll be somebody there that can clean 300. And it was kind of like that for me being at that, that race there. That's a really small community, but there are some absolute aerobic monsters within that community. Um, folks that do you did like, the same one that Nick Barr did, didn't you? Did you, did you, did you did, on the same I was race? following him, you know, I was kind of following his journey too. He signed up. He announced that after I was already training for it, um, and uh, and we were kind of similar. He did beat me, um, but we were we were similar in capacity at the time. Now he's gone on and done some pretty impressive stuff since then. Like qualified for the Boston Marathon, ran a sub three marathon, and um, just what he's done is really impressive. Um, but anyway, I I was kind of like. 
it, it was it was kind of I felt out really kind of unimpressed with with what I'd done because I saw so many people do some just really amazing stuff while we were there. Um, but I, I knew how to not drown, but I had never um, I had never competitively swam. And so I did, I, I need to jump back. I did hire a swim coach in the beginning. Well, that's probably necessity, right? Because you don't want to die, right? Like, that's very was, real fear. It's two and a half miles in the ocean, man. I mean, that's like, that is a real deal. But the thing about how, it is. How long does that take? How long does that take? It's a pretty broad, pretty broad band. It took For you. me <laughs> an hour and about an hour and a half. Oh my! To swim! Oh my gosh! That's a long time. I can't even put that into perspective. It's a two-hour time cap, and you get cut. Um, but the elites do it in like forty-something minutes. Um, Jeez! But so I so I heard I hired a swim coach to to teach me how to competitively swim at like thirty years old, which is hard. Yeah. Um, and so once I kind of had that, I knew how to practice. Um, you know, it was it was hard, but it's not like everybody flips out about swim. I had a guy the other day we were talking about Iron Man, and he's like, "Man, it's just a swim." And I'm like, "Dude, that is the preamble. Like, it is a bike race. The swim when you get out of the water, you haven't even started yet. I mean, the sun yeah. was barely up when we got out of the water. It was dark when I finished. So, like, you can you can think about how small that two and a half mile ocean swim is." in terms of the whole day. Um, so, uh, and it's two, so two, two and a half miles swim. How, how far is the bike? So you're probably on the bike for about seven, six, seven hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My butt is numb. Yeah. Just like thinking and, about and I, and I rode at about 20 miles an hour. So like, if you've done any cycling, I mean, that's like, it's moving. That's that's riding pretty hard for a non cyclist. I mean, I'm not a cyclist, and and I was and I weighed 190 or so when I did it. I mean that, so that's just a real beatdown. You know, folks think back to their kid like kid days, and they're like, "Oh, I could do the bike." And it's like, have you ever ridden a road bike for 100 miles like at 20 miles an hour? Um, and, and also, road bikes are dangerous. I mean, that's like yeah, the yeah. I want to say that's the tire the number like... one er related sports injury is, is road cycling um yeah you know all the mass is you so if, if you hit something the bike stops you keep going uh, and you're clipped in and you're right your contact with the ground is just nothing and you're in a position you can't easily get out of so um so yeah it's a it's a bike race and, and then you run a marathon at the end um you just run a marathon and i had run marathons and so that was that was kind of it wasn't daunting, but I, I just I knew that I couldn't will that to happen. Um, yeah, and that informed kind of my the you know planning it out and and taking a lot of time to prepare. So I took um, a little over a year, probably. Um, I was finishing business school. And uh, that opened up a lot of time. And this was something that I'd had on the kind of on the list for a, a few years. And I'd been cycling um, to to try to develop that skill. And 
I had hired some coaches. So once I finished business school, I was like, literally next day, signed up for yeah, half. kids, right? You guys didn't have a kid yet, so no kid. Yeah, I had a lot of time. I did a lot. That was in, that was in the very. Uh, I graduated in business school in October of eighteen. So from like October till about March, I like did a lot of stuff because I was bored. Um, I was used to really going hard, and um, and so that was that was one of the things. Registered for the half, and then shortly thereafter registered for the full, which was in November. So like, you know, a year later. Um, so when you say it was underwhelming, do you do you think it would have been a different sensation if you had prepared differently, or do you think that? your personal standards for where you like to be when you invest that much time in something like it was always going to be underwhelming because these other guys were just so far gone. I did exactly what I thought I was going to do. Like I, I finished in the, uh, a little over 12 hours. I, that's what I tested at. That's what I thought I was going to be at. I, I messed up a little bit on the run. I ran the first half marathon and like, uh, I don't know, somebody that wanted to be a jerk could probably look it up and like, I'm, I'm scared, <laughs> scared of overestimating like we always do. But uh, I ran the first half marathon in, in well, you know, in under two hours. And Jamie, pull that up for us. Yeah, right. We don't have, and, we don't, uh, we don't have a Jamie. <laughs> and I, I ran up and there was, it was a, it was an, an out and back or a, a two loop out and back half marathon. And when I came back at like mile 14 or so, I turned around and I saw my wife and she was like, you are crushing it. And I was like, I'm dead. I, I knew I was good. on the clock. Um, I could feel that I was wiped. Like my body was starting to give out. Um, and so those like successive like eight minute sub eight minute miles just went away for a few miles. Um, so I did I did mess up a little bit there, uh, but I swam faster than I planned to, to swim. Um, uh, yeah. Hey, so it's just I, I don't know I don't know if it would I, I don't know why it was why it was so underwhelming. I, I, maybe maybe it was the perspective of seeing you know. Because you're you're there, like kind of mixed in with the pros, the people who do this for a yeah. living. Maybe that's it. Uh, I don't know. Um, I I had an experience uh, in the. I did a, a half in like May or some sometime around April, and uh, now that was one of the worst physical things I've ever done. You ask if that was the worst thing I've ever done. The half. The half was worse. It's a totally different experience. It was a sprint. It was like a five or six hour wide open sprint um like my watch it died near the end and i lost the data but my heart rate curve on that thing was scary just red the whole time and (laughs) i never get me started on heart rate right now (laughs) well and and i never really swam in open water i practiced at the lake a little bit but i'd never really swam in open water and so that was scary it was in the james river which is like you couldn't see your hand in front of your face because it's a giant swamp and, um, anyway, but in that race, I was riding the bike as hard as I could ride it. And I got passed by a lady and, and the like thing in triathlon cultures, folks write their, um, 
their age and their sex on their on the back of their left calf. Because, uh, like, all kitted out and, you know, in aero bars, you can't really tell who you're with, and so it makes it a little more competitive. And, um, and I got passed, I think, by or, – or maybe I caught a lady at, like, mile 50. There was, like, a 46-year-old lady that weighed more than I did. <laughs> and I got in my head just – I mean, I gave myself a real beating mentally for that. And – I didn't know how far back I was, but, but I was really feeling bad about myself. And, but I learned something from this. So I got in and I got off the bike and I almost fell down. Like I, I clicked out and like my legs wouldn't hold me up. They were so wow. toast from the bike. And I was like, how am I supposed to run? And I, I got out of my bike shoes, got my running shoes on, walked out of the transition area and started running. And I ran, like, my first three miles in, like, 7.15, 6.58, or something like that. And I passed, like, a 1,000 people. And that is not an exaggeration. I passed, like, 1,000 wow. people in the first five miles. And I was like, oh, this is a bike race. And... um and so I ended up, you know, I ended up placing okay, I think, in that. Um, but I was destroyed at the end of that. And it, it was mm-hmm. different from from the full. I was just in, in different shape. You you treat it different. Everything about it was different. That is super interesting. I think the the bike race epiphany, like it makes sense now as you're saying it. But I wouldn't have thought of it that way offhand. I would have thought, like, you got to have some juice left in the run, and and that's where you close it. But I guess it makes sense, the biggest, the meat of the time and the miles. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I've gained an appreciation for, which is probably what makes something like an Ironman tough, is there's just no substitute for, like, years of miles when it comes to aerobic capacity. It's yeah. like I'm I'm doing all this running now and you know I guess a little bit for Chicago but this is the first time I've been like intellectually all the way in where I'm mm-hmm. I'm reading everything I can read listening to everything I can listen to about running and it's like no matter what I do like I need years of running to get up to where like people who consider themselves runners are at and the same's got to be true of swimming and biking. Uh, I, I think about like the Lance Armstrong when he went into, I think it was the Boston Marathon. And everybody's like, well, this, it doesn't seem crazy that this guy could run like a 220 marathon. And he ended up clocking in like right around three hours. It's like, it doesn't matter what set of lungs you have. If you just haven't like pounded the pavement, it's not, it's not going to click for you. And it makes sense to me that would be the same in yeah. reverse. Well, you know, that's an interesting point, too. That like, and, and I expect we'll probably talk a little bit about training because, you know, the, the race is a day, but the training is a lot of days. I mean, yeah. And that was a major investment. Major. Um, but Well, just running, the bike alone is a chunk of change. Like, not even just talking about the time investment. 
Like, well, what's interesting sidebar about that? I sold my bike a couple of months ago. I had it for four years, the the one that I rode in the Ironman, and uh, and I made a good bit of money on it, actually. Nice. Because the <laughs> world feel good. has lost its mind. But yeah, I made oh, yeah. Uh, several hundred dollars selling my bike from what I paid for it after having trained for it and ridden it in, a, in an Ironman. Wow. So, um, but, uh, you know, to your point about like running, not just running, uh, there's a lot of events within running, a lot of sub-genres of running is an Olympic sport. Mm. And we lose sight of that because, like, my toddler runs. Um, I can get out and I, I ran today in my workout. And um, there's a low barrier to entry into getting up to speed and running. Um, you don't even really need shoes if you've got feet that are conditioned for running. You need nothing. And, but it's, running doesn't care about that. It's an Olympic sport. And in my training, I'm not a great runner. There's, uh, there's a, well, people roll their eyes at that. I'm a good runner for a crossfitter. But I am not yeah. a great runner. When you've seen somebody that can really run, you're like, they're doing it different than I do it. Um, and well, I mean, running... I even look at, I even look at. So Sandy, we had Sandy Roberts who, who Dusty mentioned. He's actually he runs um, <clears throat> the the not for profit. Maybe it's not for profit. Maybe it's for profit. No, Sir Walter Myler, yeah. MPO. So so they they basically host and help host races all throughout the triangle. Yeah, and. Um, this is before I tried doing the run 21 for the month of, we were June? We were in June, right? Yeah. I think we were in June. Was it yep. June or July? J- June, and, you kicked it up. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were, and, and he was talking about four minute mile and I'm like, like, I bet I could probably hit seven. I bet I could probably run a seven minute mile. I could probably get into the sixes. And damn, if I didn't get really almost anywhere close, like I went out and I'm like eight and a half minutes and I am, my heart's at like. 180 beats a minute and I'm like what in the what the hell man I thought I was pretty fit like I'm doing great in Peloton classes like <laughs> what the hell's going on and, you know and then and then you see something freakish like you know he, he did a he did a race um grant in grandfather mountain or something like that yeah so massive hills and he placed second and he was running like right at six minute miles for a marathon yeah and it's like that doesn't even make like that that's like it's like a sprint it's like sprinting a 26.2 miles. Yep. So, yeah. So it's, uh, I, I, I've noticed that more lately because, you know, for, for the longest time I was like, I do CrossFit and that's all I do. Like I, four to six days a week. That's what I'm doing. Then I had the shoulder surgery. So I had to pull back and I was really got into the Peloton for a while. It's crushing the Peloton. Like, you know, PRs every time I, you know, I was in the top like two and 3% of classes and wouldn't, and you know, would be, would be gassed afterwards, but not dead. And now I'm kind of molding between the two plus some running. And like we had a workout the other day that started off with like 20 burpees and I get off the burpees and I'm already at 165 beats a minute. And I'm like, what the hell? What is, and then, you know, I'm doing a a Peloton class and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't suck, but I'm somewhere not where I was. And it's like, I guess it's just the price you, you pay for not specializing in something like trying to do a lot of different things. I yeah, know. I mean, or I think, eating or eating a lot of ice cream might have something to do with it too. I don't know. I think to 
a degree, maybe that that's true. I think there's a bit. Um, so the guy that wrote, uh, well, uh, what's his name? Dean Carnassus. I'm, I'm looking for his book. Anyway, the the ultra marathon man. So, uh, this dude's pretty famous um, for, mm-hmm. like, he was basically like our age now, which is kind of wild to think about. And he was, he had been an athlete growing up, but he's he's like a lawyer or something, and was like on the corporate grind and had been at the bar after work one night and was like, I'm changing the way that I do my life. And it turns out he's like a really gifted runner. He ran like 20 miles, six beers deep or something like that, like in his <laughs> suit. And now he does these crazy ultra marathons. And anyway, in one of his books, he says the best thing you can do if you want to be an elite runner is go back and pick your parents. And mm. I, I think that that is like true to some degree, like the, you know, the structure of your foot, the you know, how long your femurs and your your tibia are relative to your torso and the shape of your hips and how big are your glutes. Um, I, I tend to think that the big glutes that CrossFitters develop are probably not great for runners. If you look at endurance runners, Kenyans and folks that really excel at that, they don't have big glutes. They have very, very small glutes. And, you know, it changes the way that you stand upright. So, um Anyhow, all that that's a round a long roundabout way to say that I did not run a lot training for this. Um I treated running as I mean there was some capacity certainly, but it wasn't aerobic. It wasn't that long zone 2 aerobic capacity which which by the way is very valuable, but that is not the zone that I was in. I was at a heart rate of 150 for most of the Ironman. I mean, my, my chest was sore from breathing after both Ironmans. Um, but anyway, I, I very seldom ran more than more than three or four miles at a time. I didn't run more than three days a week, usually only about two. And it was almost entirely done on the track in intervals of 400, 800, a lot of 800. And then sometimes mile intervals, but I seldom ran more than a mile for a set. But now it's, it's funny to hear, um, uh, Adam Klink talk about training to do the five and 500, which is by the way, just incredible feat. Astonishing. Yeah. For the people that aren't, that aren't into the community. Run a yeah. run a five minute mile and deadlift 500 pounds in the same day. No, no, no. Squat. Squat 500 Squat. pounds. And we can talk, oh, that's geez. something I learned doing this too, so we can talk about that in a minute. But squat 500 and run a five-minute mile in the same day is just astonishing. But he said this. He, he was like, but, you know, I didn't run that much, but every time I went to the track, I sold my soul. And that's true. Um, I had a group of about six guys that were, you know, about it. And I always had somebody on the bench to call up and say, well, we're going to go run or we're going to go swim. Um, I, I rode a little bit with guys. I did most of my cycling on the Concept2 um, biker, actually. Um, but I always had guys to call up and go to the track. And the reason we did did it that way was because the pounding, it wasn't worth taking the beating of the, all the running to get their aerobic capacity. Um, mm. And so I got almost all of that from the bike. And, and swimming was the same way. My swim workouts were similarly um, timed. You know, um, 
we'd be there for usually not more than 45 minutes. Um, and, and swimming intervals of a hundred or 400 yards, um, once every two or three weeks we go to the lake. Um, I swam a couple of times in the ocean just like for, you know, skill acquisition, you know, practicing how you play. And I, and I rode my bike just enough to be comfortable on the bike, but like going out and riding your bike is not a good way to train to ride a bike. Um, there's dogs and cars and stop signs and your risk of getting hurt is like, a million times more than on the trainer. And I found that like, by the time I got all dressed and got out there and got out of my neighborhood and got to somewhere where I could ride, like I could have been training all that time. And, and I figured that out very early. Um, and, and so I would put my heart rate monitor on and just like pull my concept two out into the driveway and just roast in the sun for hours. <laughs> Yeah. I was I'm really curious you were about to jump in on the squatting aspect. And yeah. I'm curious about your thoughts of like trying to do some strength training while you're doing while you're building aerobic endurance because that's something I have intentionally been trying to keep in my program. I feel like it helps with like my ankle and hip mobility. Uh yeah, there's a little bit of vanity involved. We're like, look, I'm six four, two ten. I'm never gonna, I, I'm never gonna be a great runner. And frankly, as much as I admire what great runners can do, I don't want to be built like a runner. So it's like I'm also trying to like hang on to yeah. size. So, uh, but I'm curious about your thoughts on strength training and how it affects the endurance yeah. effort. I mean, I think I I gave up some you know, I gave up some minutes. Um, I cut, I cut my protein and my diet down a little bit after the half. Cause I was like, I just don't want to, I, I don't know that it made a difference, but I was like, I don't want to hold on. I was, I was lean, lean. I got a, um, I did a tank body fat or body composition test at the peak in October before the, before the race. And it, I mean, it was lean. And so I didn't really have a, a lot to lose. Um, and I felt like I was too heavy. So I was like, I just don't want to put anything else on. So I cut my protein down a little bit. I, I don't know that that really made a difference, but, um, but I just really like it. I, I really like mm-hmm. lifting weights. Um, and so like to your point about hip and ankle health, like, yeah, agree a hundred percent like you know coming in and doing five sets of five you know at a flat shoes no belt uh i don't know six out of ten rp is probably like pretty useful deadlift and 500 is probably not useful (laughs) i did more of the latter um it, just because I like it, um, and yeah. I and I probably had too, a little bit too much muscle mass um, for you know op, being optimized, but that wasn't. When you're at it. that point, when you say you're like you know you're at your leanest, yeah, I'm always interested to hear like how did you feel, like mentally, physically, like did you feel better? Did you feel like mm. I felt you know like I mean? a mutant? 
that that like, was in awesome. A good way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think that maybe that is why. I think that might be part of the disappointment. Is I got done with the with the race, and I was like, you know, I I'm destroyed now. I mean, make no mistake, I was prepared, but I was destroyed. Um, my body, it was a hard day and a hard year leading up to that day. But I just was thinking about all the all the stuff that I could have done. Like I, I probably I had the best shot of qualifying for the Boston Marathon I've ever had in my life. Um, I ran a half marathon about eight weeks before the Ironman in Asheville, not especially flat. No. And I ran a 135. Wow. And that was a massive PR. Now, I hadn't run a half marathon in a long time, but it was um, – and my last three miles were my fastest three. Um, yeah, you translate did, that to like a Richmond plus, course. What's that? Oh, I was just going to say, you translate something like that in Asheville to like a full marathon on a flatter course like Chicago Richmond. Or, yeah. 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 It's a, it makes a difference. And, um, and like, so you're talking about like, how do you feel? I mean, I was like, so for that period of time, I was so fired up. I was shredded and, um, I've got one of my guys that I was always training with who's considerably younger than me was finishing up at UNC considerably fitter than me, uh, which is the best kind of training partner to have. We would joke that there at the end, we were like, oxygen is the luxury um, because we were so used to breathing hard. Um, I, I, felt, I felt amazing. Um, I didn't, I almost didn't recognize myself in the mirror. I mean, I took a lot of pictures to, to try to like kind of remember what that, because I was like, I, this is not sustainable. I'm never probably going to be like this again. Um, and, you know, in the last, like, really about that half marathon, all the last, like, eight weeks, like, I couldn't get tired. Um, mm. I had a day where I went and swam a mile in Jordan Lake in the morning, went to Sua Sponte, and we were doing that business we used to always do, snatch, snatch, 15 minutes to establish a snatch, one rep max, yeah. 15 minutes to establish a clean and jerk, one rep max. So I could swim a mile in the lake, come back and snatch um, something pretty decent, clean and jerk something pretty decent, do some some sort of Metcon, go home and eat, ride my bike for, or my biker for like two hours, get off and come eat again, go back out there and do row intervals and come back in and, and be like, gosh, I feel like I haven't done anything today. I mean, it, it got to yeah. that point where it's like I couldn't get tired. And that was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. That is awesome. Uh, I, I feel like just because life doesn't have that bandwidth, it, it, I probably sound crazy to anybody listening, but like I am – jealous of that feeling like that sounds amazing so am i yeah yeah i yeah. mean i, I would like, have to give you up. you want to work I, out I for four hours that. i would love to work out for four hours <laughs> yeah and i i can't you know having kids you guys have kids i i can't sleep enough to do that now i mean i i slept all the time i slept for i, I tracked it um 
mean, I slept for an average of nine hours a night. Sometimes on those weekend days, I would sleep ten uh, Friday and Saturday night. Doesn't that sound? That sounds glorious. Yeah, I mean, so you put those <laughs> things together, you know, of like a year of, and it. I mean, I slept good before that, so like a year of optimized sleep, a year of really hard training. I never really got hurt. That was another thing. Like I, I just was on a string of not being hurt, which is, yeah, man, that always that, that always creeps its way in, doesn't it? Hurt been, or cold or something. I've been hurt since, and I was hurt before, and yeah, but for that moment in time you know was not hurt and you were dialed in what um yeah. quick sidebar here yeah because i know we, we dusty and i it, it, too late in life have realized how vital sleep is yeah um, i love sleep i love sleep yeah and and i just recently this is going to sound weird to anybody who doesn't care but i just recently got good at it like yeah. i go to bed i you know i know you don't uh ascribe to intermittent fasting but restrictive dieting, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the restrictive dieting, stopping eating at like you know three or four hours before I go to bed. That makes a huge difference for me. But like anyway, do you have any like? Are there any hacks that you learned while you were training, or anything you've carried over now that you're like this really helps, like helps me sleep? Like, oh, yeah, well. Um... Maybe not related to sleep. I learned how to sleep before, um, but we should definitely talk about so, – so in terms of like – I said it was a letdown. I learned quite a lot about a lot of things doing it, so I probably shouldn't say that. I didn't really think so about maybe that is it, until just now. May, maybe, maybe the the race itself was a bit of a letdown, but the – like, I mean, the sense of accomplishment, the the stuff you learned about yourself, about – what it is to train and all that stuff. Like there's a lot of value in that. That's right. You're right. The race is a day. It was 12 hours. You spent, I mean, how many hours you couldn't even be calculated. Well, maybe you're pretty analytical. You probably have a spreadsheet. You, you have an almost uh, an incalculable know, yeah. number. Of, I mean, I know about how much I trained. Yeah. Yeah. How many hours it was it? If you calculated it all together for a year. Um, I mean the last three months I was biking, swimming and running 30 hours a month. Um, and then I was doing CrossFit usually five sessions a week that, you know, that's not included in that. So, um, 30 so hours there, there a is... month or 30 hours a week, 30 hours a month. Yeah. 30 hours. A month. Cause remember I didn't run and swim a lot. So I would, I would only yeah. run or swim for about an hour. So, um, that's like eight hours a week of that. And then another five. So I, I was training for. 11 to 14 hours a week which is like oh there's a lot of hours in a week that's nothing 11 or 14 hours a week with a heart rate anywhere from 135 to 190 ain't no joke yeah no i was just making sure i heard it i heard it right because i was i was doing some similar math recently because i'm i'm still in the low ranges of my current running i'm only at about 30 miles a week as of this week i'd like to get up to you know about 50 55 miles a week um nothing by by real marathon training standards nothing insane yeah Uh, those guys run 50 miles a week every week yeah yeah and but I'm starting to, part of the reason it's like that is I'm starting to do the math of what 
is the time investment I need? Am I going to have to sacrifice the squatting, deadlifting, rowing, pull-ups, push, like, and I thought it was like I was spending all this time. It's really not that much. A lot <laughs> like, of time in the day. Yeah, it's like I'm actually only currently running about three to four hours a week, which, yeah. you know, to your point on the, when you calculate that out, it's like, okay, you're you're not even running 15 hours a month. Like it's, it's but doable. But you got to recover. Like that's the yes. thing that like you have to recover. And we would do swim workouts at 6 a.m. And I would go to my office and like eat all my food that I brought for the whole day that yeah. morning and stare at the wall. I can remember leaning up against the wall in our morning operations huddle and feeling the sweat run down the middle of my back in my dress shirt and leaning against the wall because I was dizzy and like and not being able to stop sweating and not being hot, just not being able to stop sweating um, because we'd done something just super, super intense, which the pool, man, swimmers are psychopaths. And, I, and my, my toddler daughter is enrolled in swim lessons, you know, right now. So I, I'm into that sort of thing. But um I mean, I think that's the key thing to think about is like, are you getting anything out of all those hours that you spend? And that's the problem, I think, with zone zone two training. Tommy and I have had a lot of banter about zone two training and kind of, um, you know, it's value. We love zone two training. I love zone two training. But yeah, the thing dusty. is, it's not as efficient yeah. at, at producing fitness. And so, you know, if you only have a finite amount of, of fitness tokens to deposit not the best way um but if you have near unlimited fitness tokens then you do your like high yield stuff and then you sit on that zone too the thing about it is it's like free fitness so if you eat enough you can recover from it and the reason i did so much of that on the bike is because it didn't beat me up um mm -hmm. and so I mean, the bike was as long as I bike as much as I could tolerate, you know, mentally. Um, and I had those days where I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm wasting my life out here on this stupid bike, roasting in the sun. What am I doing? I'm sitting on a stationary bike in the driveway. Your neighbors are just looking at you like, what a psychopath. <laughs> Dude, they had lots of reasons to think I was a psychopath. Like, but like I bet that guy of... has bodies in his backyard. Like, that's yeah. they're thinking, like, this guy. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely, they, yeah, I mean, those are, we've moved now. Um, I think <laughs> they probably did think that, but, um, for a lot of reasons, but, um, I love yeah, the idea I mean, that like, it's free fitness. The zone two yeah, I was is free say, fitness is a good, yeah. because that's, that's one of the things I've discovered. So when I ran for the Chicago marathon, zero education, I just like every day I went out and I just like ran until I was completely like gassed, whether I was running yeah. Three miles, 10 miles, 15, it didn't matter. Like, I'm just going to run these, like, about as hard as I can run them, which is just a terrible strategy, and I had no idea. And now, like, if I run, if I run, uh, like, tomorrow morning, I'm just going to do a warm-up. I'm going to, like, do 400-meter repeats and a cool-down. That is guaranteed to make me more sore than when I run 
an 11 mile easy run on Saturday. It's like, as long as I don't dial it up too high, it's like, I'm pretty all right. And I had no concept of that probably prior to, I don't know, when we start talking about zone two stuff on the Peloton, Tommy, six months ago. Yeah. I forget. I I think I saw it with like, you know, Nick Barr or someone like that was where I originally saw it. And I was like, this is interesting. And I, and I love it because I can just, you're right. You can just kind of coast. Like you can be there. And admittedly, I, you know, because I'm so ingrained of like, if you're not sweating and not breathing hard, you're not getting fitness in. Zone two for me is like 110 to 120. And I'm like, if I'm not at 130, I'm not putting the work in. It's right. like, yeah. it's a lot more work to get it up. It's it's funny because it's a lot more work for me to get it. those extra 10 beats per minute and sustain it. So there's well, definitely this, something to that. This is kind of one of the things you said, Trent, that I, I really... I really connect with it. it be, it's part of the, the ethos of when we started this podcast and it was the activity itself needs to be worth it. So like when you're doing this thing, like what are you getting out of it and does it need to take me somewhere or generate something or get a certain response, whether that's money, attention, uh, a, a ranking in a race. And I think if, and this is the reason like I'm all in on the, like reading about it, like modulating my training, doing threshold runs, interval runs, easy runs, like trying to, trying to learn everything I can about this one particular thing, because I'm a real believer that if you invest deeply into one thing, it can teach you so much about everything. And I love that you were just all in on the Ironman portion that even if you get to the race and it's underwhelming, it's like, well, I mean, I'll probably be talking about the lessons learned from this experience for the rest of my life. And I think, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people miss when they approach their physical health. Like the body is the tool through which you experience all of life. And if you can really get to know it well, which I don't know how to get to know my body better than like pushing it. And now all of a sudden I find out some things like, Oh, my right foot's a little too flat. One, one hip's a little higher than the other, you know, like these, these little oddities that you've lived with and never had to actually discover because you never asked too much of it. Like I have found I have, and yeah, marathons smaller than an Ironman, but I'm pushing myself to my current capacities and I have found it to be a very enriching education. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, and, you know, it was like, it was stressful. Um, and I think that a lot of folks have a negative view of stress. And, and I mean, you have like stress can mean a lot of things. You have stress like, you know, like a fat or a whatever, a kid that's food insecure and has to lay on the floor because you know, stray bullets and, um, no father. And you have that kind of stress that obviously has very negative effects down the line. Um, but, uh, if, if you're not feeling a lot of stress all day long, every day, but you're not able, like, that's what adaptation feels like. Um, Mm. uh, 
change or adaptation is directly correlated with intensity. Intensity is directly correlated with discomfort. And most folks will dodge that at at all costs. And if I start having fun, then we've messed up. And <laughs> and that was something that you learn a lot, you know, when you're doing that stuff. It's like if you're ever like that zone two stuff, if you're sitting on the bike and it starts to be fun, and I, I was meticulous about that too, because it's easy to get lazy. Um, you know, when you've already swam a mile and you've already gone to the track and run 800 warm up, three one mile uh, max efforts and an 800 cool down, and, and we would do stuff. A lot of times, what we would do on those interval workouts is we would rest like three to one. So you would you would warm up and run a mile and then however long it took you. So if it took six, 15, you know, you'd rest for like 18 minutes. You're like, that's crazy. That's horrible because you're like throwing up after every single one of it. It's so bad. And you've done that. And then you get on the bike and you're like, okay, take it easy. Cause you know, you got to take it easy. And it'd be really easy to sit there and spin that thing at 60 RPMs. Zone two is not nothing. Um, for me, that's like 130 or so heart rate. Mm. And so, like, sitting there in zone two after you've done all that other stuff in the morning is not fun. And and, and also, like, you're sore. Like, you're sore and tired and bored. And, um, like, yeah, the boredom is the big thing, isn't it? Like that's like, like it's the mental thing. Like for yeah. me, the, the reason that I like Zone Two so much is I get on the Peloton, right, and I, I put like something on HBO, and I just get into a zone and I go for forty five or sixty minutes. Yeah, right? I do, and then I, I'm distracted. You know, I'm distracted. See, I never defeating. did that. I never watched right. anything. I only well, I listen to yeah, music, but it, that's it. Because you are you and you were training with a purpose, right? Because you're not yeah. going to have like your iPad propped up on your road bike. <laughs> That's Talk right. about dangerous. Like, yeah. yeah, let's just watch The Office for seven hours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that there's a lot of merit to, like, if you met somebody who all they ever did was zone two, they'd probably just look like, uh, you know, you're like what we think of in our parents' generation as like the suburban jogger. It's like they yeah. just go out there, they put in like two miles every night and that is what it is. It's it's better than a lot of people do. So I don't want to besmirch it. Sure. But it's not what I want out of my experience with physical training. Yeah. And so like if that's all it ever is, then I I think like a lot of things we talk about there's there's no such thing as something that has no purpose. And there's no such thing as something that is all-encompassing. It's like this has a role, and you need to find it where it fits in the puzzle and apply the correct dosage. And then you can, then you can love it the proper amount. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, we should take a hard pivot on this podcast mission, and all we do is talk about zone two training only <laughs> and try looks to like, just, yeah. just become looks like we're zone two. Yeah. Like, like it's our religion. Yeah. Free I think fitness, there are people might... that 
have that actually probably like there are people that like think that that is the like run slow to run fast and it's like well you, you need both right Right. I've been banging the run slow to run fast drum, but that's because the guys I'm talking to about it are guys like Tommy and Garrett, who it's like, guys, you could incorporate a little more running. Here's. Yeah. So, oh, well, you know, and the joke with our, uh, you know, our little training group here in Durham is that, like, if they said this is a roast, I think it's pretty good. It's like, uh, one of the guys said, Trent, you would take Garrett in the first round of the NFL draft. And I said, I wouldn't just take him in the first round. I'd turn around and pick him in the second round, too, as an honorary pick. That's how much I love some Garrett Gore. But Garrett, and, and by the way, when we were talking earlier about guys that are just built out of different stuff, Garrett's one of those guys. He's a real athlete. 100%. 100%. He's a real athlete. Like, I am a scrub who has worked really hard for a really long time and have developed some level of strength and aerobic capacity. Garrett is like Tigger. He's very springy. Yeah. Yeah. Dusty, and, did you see his, did you see his post the other day? Like just <laughs> clean 300. Like, yeah. Was, yeah. No, like, I, I did. I deadlift and, that right now. You know, like that's. I did. And I'm happy to hear Trent say that because Garrett played that down so much yeah. in our conversation. And he always will. Yeah. But he's legit. And Garrett had never really run. He had no reason to run. Um, and he said, man, I, I suck at running. I said, well, let's make you not suck at running. And Garrett is so athletic and has such great body awareness and is so coachable that he can learn just about anything physically. And we went to the track and we taught him how to run. I mean, and there were just a few things like he, he, we shortened his stride up, got him a little more upright, um, sped his cadence up. Like it was simple stuff. And then we started going and, and he would run, you know, on a few of my days, he was one of the ones in the rotation of like, Hey, I'm going to the track in the morning. Yep. I'll be there. And we did a 5k. We were talking about this at the gym yesterday, actually. We did a 5K out on the American Tobacco Trail one day as a training exercise. And we did an out and back. And when we turned around, there was there were four of us. Um, I, could, I turned around, and I could see all three of them, and they were maybe 100 yards apart. And take off. And I had about 400 yards to go, and, um, and I was ahead of the pack. And I kind of turned my head, and I could see somebody – behind me not close but behind me i said oh that's john but i just went ahead and checked and it was garrett and i was on pace to run close to a 20 minute 5k which is not slow wow no it's not slow if you're not a runner and garrett was behind me and and he would he would tell the story too and i was like man i'm impressed but then i was like you're too close and i just hammered it down and <laughs> almost killed myself to, to stretch it out some but he ended up running like 21 minute 5k or whatever and awesome. for a guy like garrett who's never run who's got tree trunk legs who power yeah. cleans 300 and, and deadlifts 500 and squats 440 or whatever like we we turned him into a very very good runner for for what he is um, I don't remember what got us actually talking about that, but that was something we did. Like Garrett got really good at running 
Um, well, it's it's funny when you when you come across like actual athletes. Yeah. You know, pe- people that have played at at a, at a at an at a high level, and you know, even so, this one one of the examples that I always think about, and now I now I can pick it out. Some our our buddy uh, Quint and and Trent, you may know Quint. Yeah, I've just met him through, a couple times. You, you, yeah, him and his dad used to do like a trip to spring training every year to watch the Braves, and he's like, you know, I, I forget who was the um, oh, who was the catcher for the Braves. Doesn't matter. He said you'd see like the guys Javier that were... Lopez. No, I'm sorry, no, no, no. About no, 90s. it wasn't the Braves. No, it was it was the Twins. It was the Twins. Um, only like a, five to ten years ago. Look it up. No, Jamie, I know. Jamie. I'll, I'll pull it up. His name is like right up. But anyway, he said you'd see him, and you would just know like that guy is a professional athlete, and you'd yeah. see Joe the guys Mauer. that were where Mauer. That's it. And you'd see the guys that were like trying to make it. And you're like, yeah, you just don't have that. You just don't have that. Like you, like you said, if you want to be that great athlete, go back and pick your parents. Yeah. Um, and it's really apparent, you know, when you go to college football games, like you see the kids that are going to probably play on Sundays because they're just built different. And the you know, same thing when you go to like a Durham Bulls game. Yeah. It's like there are most of these guys out here are five, eight. They're hitting it hard, but they're hitting it hard for AAA. Right. Yeah. And, and when you like. I like like I told Garrett the other day, like he said he was intimidated walking into the gym, but like I knew I had a like I watched him train and having been there for like four or five years, I knew I had like a really small window of about four months where I could still put my name on top of his on the leaderboard before it was just toast forever. Yeah. So anyway. Yep. I wanna do this because we could talk about training forever. Forever. <laughs> and, I really and, could. And, you know, <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, you know, how many, you know, we, we spend more time than the average person probably doing it and thinking about it. Right. So, but one of the things that, you know, really got both of y'all's juices going and, you know, I want to be sensitive to time too, right? Everyone, we just talked about sleep, but, but I sent you guys a quote that was pulled up at church the other day and I'm interested to get your takes on it. Um, because Can you give again, full context to the sermon and then. Read the yeah, I'll, I'll 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 do my I'll do my best on the sermon, um, because again, sometimes I'm I'm operating on the same plane. So so we go to Vintage Church uh, in downtown. Uh, I've been going there for uh, probably about a decade, and uh, the pastor there, um, Tyler is, and I'm looking at you guys. But I'm pulling this over here. He's he's just a really good speaker and a and a very very good at putting things in context. And sometimes I operate on the same plane, and sometimes I'm like, God, dude, you lost me. I'm a little fidgety. Um, we were talking about Romans. See here, three nineteen. Roman, Romans three nineteen. I'm not gonna read, you know, read the whole verse, but uh, let me see here. I'm trying to pull up the email. Of course, I can't find the email. It's all good. I was mostly just curious, of, and. Maybe it spoils the conversation. If... Oh no! Here it is. Here it is, Dusty. Sorry, man. You good? But the, the the context of it was um, essentially showing how we're seeking our own justification of this world, and how, based on our own accomplishments, we're unjustifiable. Hmm. And then, you. and then, and then the justification rests in the Lord. Like that's that's where our justification rests in. So, 
here's the quote that was pulled up and I was like, man, this is just a really good quote. Um, so it's by a, um, I think he was a poet or a writer from, um, from England. But, but the quote was, if you can't, uh, justify your existence, if you're not pulling your weight in the social boat, if you are not producing as much as you consume or perhaps a little more, then clearly we cannot use the big organization of our society for the purpose of keeping you alive because your life does not benefit us and it can't be of very much use to yourself. And as I read that, the only thing I could think what think of was like uh, Bernard Shaw was an early David Goggins. Like he's just like, <laughs> you know, boat boat two crew don't quit. Um, Who's going to carry the logs? Yeah, yeah. But you know, as I look at it, I'm like, damn. If if you really sink into that, you're like, yeah, I'm like, like that that's why the justification in the lord is such a such a big statement because it's like i could spin my wheels all day every day and just grind 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 and am i putting out you know if it's on a scale society's here and my input's here what's the what what's the balancing act so anyway both i sent that to both of you and both of you were like i got to take i have an opinion on this that's why i like both of you and i want to hear what your thoughts are on it well pick so, someone to go first you were triggered. I, I wasn't triggered. I, I'm prepared. I think is the, <laughs> wow. Dusty, this is like this has been yeah. living rent free in my mind for years. Go ahead, Dusty. Yeah. Um, I disagree with George Bernard Shaw. I first and foremost, everybody should try to carry their own weight 100 percent uh it is it is a responsibility of existence to do the most with the talents you were born with and if you don't understand that you know that's okay but you will have a lackluster life but on the flip side what we talk about on individual responsibility is not the same as what we talk about when we structure a society. And it does a disservice to the potential of humans' ability to evolve their life from where it is to where it could be to say, you are a loser right now. We're not going to help you. If we see a loser... Our goal when we're building a society should be to make less of them. And how do we do that? We've got to create some sort of uplift, some sort of program, some sort of assistance. Like, let's, wherever you started, it could be better. And, you know, I, I think that's the responsibility of people who figured it out. And there's ways to, like, everybody kind of believes this. This is the, the distribution of the family unit. Like, Walter Walter can't do much right now. He is dead weight in this family. You know, he's just a drain on the fridge, the bank account. But you know what? I think long term, this kid's going to mean something to the organization. I think if we invest in him, he can grow. And maybe when I'm at Shady Acres, he can, he can really help carry us through that last leg. 
you know, I, I think that this is kind of the problem with binary thinking about like the libertarian approach versus the socialist approach is that no one is ever all one thing. I can't be an ecosystem to myself. How many times, Tommy, have you had to hear me give the lame explanation about like, what if the apocalypse happened and it's just Mm -hmm. like me and 500 kids left to reboot this thing. And I'm like, I'm like the grandfather of the next civilization. I'm giving them almost nothing. (laughs) There's going to be no electricity. We'll be lucky if we figure fire out. Right. Like (laughs) I indoor plumbing. You've got to be kidding me. Like how's, how's the water fight gravity? Something with pressure? <laughs> like <laughs> these things are mysteries to me. I just turned the sink on. Like forget about irrigating the desert. So I I don't think any I think we those of us who are doing well often have too high of an opinion of ourselves. And when we look at those who are doing poorly, we often put a cap on their potential. And I would prefer to believe in people and their trajectory. And now, does that justify my existence in the eyes of the Lord? Here's the thing. I think the Lord would probably agree with me. Why wouldn't I think that? <laughs> right. Why, why would I hold an opinion differently if I was like, no, God would disagree with me, but I'm keeping my opinion. Like, I think God is a fan of man. He created us, and he believes in our ability to go from, you know, the the undeserving sinner to the blessed saint. That's the reason redemption exists. So I wouldn't say I was triggered. I just <laughs> had a strong opinion. So, so, so for context, I should say that, you know, this church is not fire and brimstone and, uh, or, or a, um, come at me, Tyler, or, or, a, or a wealth, you know, wealth church, prosperity gospel. Uh, it was, actually intended for the exact reason that you that you I think you just said to be quite honest um as as a almost a um uh the 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 yin to the yang of of the of the bible verse so hey thank you for sharing Trent I, w- I want to hear if, if you're if you're similar if you're uh where, where you fall on this well you know like Romans 3 is like the man uh, uh you know this is the like paul saying should should you just go on sinning so that grace can abound by no means and it's like well which is it and is it works or is it faith well it's definitely not works and um but the, but there's countless examples in the bible or of you know where it's we should work hard. Um, and, and so incidentally, I don't know, I, I'm not gonna put you on the spot and ask you if you listen to the thing that I last minute sent you yesterday. By Matt I did not Chandler. listen to it yet, but I, but I am going to listen to it. It's really worth your time. Um, but anyway, Matt Chandler is this pastor in Texas who my sister and I have been having this ongoing kind of conversation about the gospel. And, um, that's a very, very, short sentence to a very, very, you know, long conversation about that and, and what that means and how it's distributed to the, to the people. But, um, anyway, she's a big fan of Matt Chandler and she sent me this sermon 
a couple weeks ago and said, he's talking about what you were telling me about. And so I listened to it, and I was like, man, I, I, I like this guy. And uh, and so then she texted me yesterday, and she was like, he did it again. You need to listen to it again. So I listened to it again. And, um, you know, perhaps that was ordained because he talked about this kind of thing. And he said, you know, excellence is your domain. And there there was some lead up into this. But, and and he's, this is not prosperity gospel by any means. Um, the purpose that I'm here is to be a herald of the good news in life and in speech. Um, and he went on to say that, you know, you're not you're not put here to find something that your passion. You're put here to find a job that you can be good at and make money at, and let the purpose of that job be to do um, to do work for Christ. And I was like, man, that's so good. Um, Several years ago, we had a pastor do a long, extensive, deep dive into Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes says, I've seen what is best for people here on earth. They should eat, drink, and enjoy their work. But then it also says, uh, let me read this. So I, uh, I, <laughs> so I hated life, for the work which had been done was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving for wind. And I really want the first part of that. I want, yeah, God said to come here and work hard because I can work hard. I will outwork you. I don't care. I will rub your face in it. You know, you will beat me. I'll jump up and, and we'll just keep going at it until, you know, until you quit or die of old age. But the thing is, like, I can work as hard as I want and I can judge as hard as I want other people not performing at the level that I expect them to perform at. And without Jesus, we are both just the wall. And God doesn't care that I did an Ironman or that I've opened these businesses or that I have been promoted at this organization or that I've, whatever, trained them, go all down the list, train this bird dog or whatever. doesn't care about any of that. And uh, without Jesus, I, I mean, that is rubbish. It is filthy lucre. And so um, that, that whole thing is that, like, Romans, like, we can find justification for our hard work. I mean, the Lord is present in our toil. I've felt the Lord's presence more. When I'm working hard, we should talk about that, too, in the swim of that Ironman. I did have, like, a great moment. But it's nothing without – I can never do enough to even be a blip on the radar without Christ. That's all I got about that, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I – this is a curiosity as much as an opinion. So if it comes out, and I like definitely a, real, real quick, Dusty, and I do want yeah. to come back to the moment in the swim, but go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, if it comes out like an opinion, it's, it's not meant to be. So like push back. I, I feel myself emotionally disagreeing with God doesn't care about you running the iron man. And it's I, not about, and I, it's not about you running the iron man, right? It's that, Similar to what you said about like picking your parents and like the length of your femurs and things like that. 
we are incapable of like really understanding God's parameters for appreciating his own human creation. Let me restate that. (laughs) So I think, I think that Tim Keller has said this. He might've been citing CS Lewis where he talks about um, when God doesn't respond the way that you think God would respond, you wouldn't have even asked God for the things you asked him for if you knew everything that he knew. Mm-hmm. And so don't care. When I say he doesn't care, that's not the right, that's not the right way to say that. Uh, I think what, maybe, maybe to rephrase, like that's not going to be what earns you salvation. This is, this is my point of debate, though. Yes. If, this is it my doesn't point of matter debate. if I win the Ironman World Championship. We've talked a lot about Ironman. That's, that's actually a <laughs> long-since-gone thing. And uh, Anyway, but it doesn't matter what I do, how much good, according to the world, that I do. It would be better for me to be a murderer and a rapist and have Jesus than to do anything else but this is and and not look i this is why i said it's a curiosity not an opinion it's it's the fact that i so i i've always come back to this it's a quote but the quote encompasses an idea which is the opposite of faith isn't certain no the op what is it the opposite of uh tommy i've said this before why am i blanking on it the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Yeah. And, yep. and I think that if you really have a strong faith, then you end up being a lot more of an I don't know guy, which mm-hmm. is when we, we get into this, like we get into these groups, like in churches or communities, and we start saying things like, man, that guy's a really strong Christian. Well, how do we know? You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, maybe, maybe God looks at everything that, like, Trent has available to him, and he knows your personal demons and, like, what you struggle with and what is meaningful to you. And he's like, man, when Trent's out there on that bike, like, he's really got it. He is nailing it right now. Well, yeah, comparatively, right? Well, and uh, the chariots of fire quote, like, it's like, why are you not out in the mission field? And he said, uh, I don't know why God made me, but I know he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Exactly. And that's and not there's, just for there's running. There's so much that's to that. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to that. And I think that we get too caught up in these ideas that we made up for what God wants. And... And so when we start saying things like, you know, it's, it's not about finding a passion, like I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that the feelings and instincts that I've been given aren't the very roadmap to heaven that was gifted to me because I, I think we overrate knowledge and we underrate like just doing your damnedest to point your compass north. Like however that feels to you. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would actually, I'm, I'm actually kind of jonesing for like a fresh debate with like an all in the word theologian because <laughs> I, I went like four hours with my mom and aunt who are just like two of the strongest Christian women I've, I know when I was 
back home like a month ago. And I left feeling like more confident about my <laughs> my stance. And I feel like I need to be taken down a couple notches. But that's that's probably for a future conversation. Well, it's funny because I think, <clears throat> Trent, I think you're right about the, the quote that, that you pulled about Tim Keller. And, and I, I want to say I so just so you guys know, and, and maybe we'll now all be in the fold, but when I see something that I'm, it kind of triggers a response for me, especially when it's around personal performance or around faith. Tim Keller is a good example. I shoot it off to you guys and I want to get, and I get your hot takes on it. Cause it helps me, like I said, get my, get an opinion. Cause you guys have done a lot of reading and a lot of research and, and so forth. So, and, I've, and, and when I sent this quote to you, you guys almost responded the same way in that, if there was a certainty, there would be no need for faith. Like you wouldn't have to have faith because everyone would just know it exists. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, when, when I hear you, you say that dusty, like the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. I think that's, that's such a spot on quote. Very convenient for me since I love things being a uh, murky gray everywhere. <laughs> well, just so you know, then the quote goes on to say certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort and letting it be there until some light returns. Like, isn't that what we're all like, what we're all doing? Like yeah. we, we, when we, when we talk about the body keeps the score, right? It's not about knowing the feeling. It's about experiencing the feeling, letting it be, letting it dissolve, letting it go. And so maybe that's, that's, it's a, it's a euphemism for all of life. Yeah, man, it reminds, it reminds me again of the, the poem, The Guest House, which is... A you love short, The Guest House, don't love you? Love The Guest House. Well, it's just like all this stuff we fight. Like to Trent's point about stress earlier, like people don't understand stress correctly. Stress is a friend. Like stress is here to show you what needs your attention. Right. And so if you've got stress nearby you, you can feel pretty good that you've got some good guidance. He's like a he's like a Jiminy Cricket, you know, and I think all of our emotions are like that. They have a purpose. They serve and maybe roadmap to heaven was a little bit flowery with the language. (laughs) But but, you know, they're a guide and like you just got to sit with them until you understand what they're telling you, because look. Emotions come from somewhere, and if you believe in a creator, like it's, it's not that tough to like connect the dots to where you think they come from, right? So, I'm not going to disagree. Do we, uh, do we want to hit this question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you guys are really excited about about this one. So this is the "We're Not Really Strangers" <laughs> uh, self reflection edition card pack. Fans, of, real ones know. Yeah, the real ones know. Bangarang. Question is, what do I have to offer in a romantic relationship? What do I want to receive? Yeah, I think the trigger word there is romantic. Like, that's because this is the self-reflection edition. You're like, I'd say things in my head and in my heart that I wouldn't put on blast out in the ether. Um, Just for out of respect of my relationship with my wife. Um Trent, you're you're free to uh, take a pass, or if you want to, if if you have some thoughts around it, I'll let you lead off, man. If you want to, and if if not, I have some thoughts around it. Uh, yeah. So, 
I have often said that um, I should question my wife for deciding to marry me. That mm. like that should be grounds for me to leave because her decision making <laughs> is so poor that you know I shouldn't want to be with someone that would make a decision like that. You know, you hear people say like I don't want a job that I'm qualified for. That's sort of my my thoughts on that. I ask myself every day, what in the world do I bring to this partnership? Um, so yeah, I am gonna pass. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine, man. <laughs> that's, and, dude, that's dude, I, um, I mean, I, I think, I think the same thing often, especially because I'm, I'm, I can be moody. I can be very, um, I'm quick to say no. Like I'm quick to be like, no, we, we're not doing that. It doesn't make any. Why are we doing that? Or like, you know, I'm, I'm like a tod, I'm like a toddler sometimes. <laughs> so, um. The, the things I think the things that I that I want to put out there on the pod that that and I and I actually were sitting there at dinner and I asked Andy I'm like what do I bring to a romantic relationship <laughs> what do you think that's a scary and, question uh, it's a good I think it's a good one right I think yeah. I do think it's good and and it's no surprise that I I could better nail down what I think she brings to our relationship versus what I think I bring. Because, you know, we are, we are our, our own worst critic. Like, I don't, like Trent said, like, am, am I really good at any of the things that I think I'm good at? Um, but I think one thing that I, that I definitely, you know, as far as, like, mine and Annie's relationship is a, probably, like, a playfulness and, like, a laugh, like, like, a, like a comedic aspect to our relationship that even when times suck, like, even when we're in the hospital with one of our kids, we're still making jokes. We're we're not, you know, we're trying our best not to let it completely bury us when we're going through difficult times. And so, you know, I think laughter and playfulness is probably something that I I help bring to the relationship just by nature of who I am. As far as like what how I need like what I need to receive. I mean, you know, we can't we came back from dinner or something the other night and I'm like I I could never think of a person who could be a better compliment to me than my wife. Like, the, like where I'm deficient, she is super efficient and, and vice versa. But one of the things that she brings to the table that, that really works for me is she is like a spark. And what I mean by that is like, she'll plan things. She'll, she'll, she'll put things on the calendar. She'll, we'll try things. If it was up to me, I would, you know, I'd go to the gym, I'd work, we'd go for walks on the weekends and, you know, we'd go to church. Like we would have never been to Disney World by now. Like if it was up to me, right? I'd be like, what sense does that make? I'd logic my way out of it. Um, you know, the kids would not have played any sports by now. I certainly I sure as hell would not be coaching 5 and 6-year-old basketball. But she signed me up for it. <laughs> like she's like, you're going to be the assistant coach. Now I'm the coach. So, like Little did I know that I needed that so much. Like I'm such the brake pedal that I needed a gas pedal. And, and that's you know how I best receive it in our relationship is she is very much like, let's go do this. Let's make plans. And I'm very much like <sighs> plans. I, I like, I saw a meme the other day that was like, I don't like making plans too far out. Cause I don't know how I'll feel that day. And I don't like making plans the day of, cause that's too short notice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like That couldn't be more me. So anyway, I think that's where I landed on that one. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, man. 
So I think the the romantic portion I was pretty dismissive of that right away. I actually think like romance is a pretty simple concept. Like love is essentially just hope and bravery over an iteration of problems. Um the but there is there is an element to romantic relationships that I it's more about like who you choose to to offer those things to. And <laughs> you guys are both better men than me. That that much I I already feel pretty confident in because I actually feel like at this point in my life I'm I'm a decent I'm a decent partner. And I'm, I'm like I feel good about what I'm bringing to the table. And that would that might not have been true, you know, seven it wasn't true when Katie decided to date me. That's like that's <laughs> definitely a fact. But she probably deserves a lot of credit for that evolution. But I uh I think the thing I probably offer specifically to our relationship is I tend to be a pretty good systems thinker. When when I'm weighing the cost of the multitude of investments across time and money, I do a pretty good job of thinking about the impact each of those things has on the other and the return over time. And I mostly do that by drumming up a lot of curiosity about whatever the topic is I'm into and spending a lot of time learning about that thing. And I think that's probably valuable in a lot of situations, but it's good for our relationship because Katie is instinctual. She was raised very well and her compass is very reliable. Mine can spin around a little bit. So whenever she like has a feeling that something should be a certain way and I think it should be a different way, like I attack it with like data and research. And if I can ever convince her to change her mind, I know I've figured it out. So like there's good chemistry there. But the That thing sounds I, really romantic, bro. I'm that's kidding. what I'm saying. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Throw the romance out. Uh I, I'll say this on things that I think I do a poor job of romantically. I think that there's a certain what I would like to offer more to the relationship. My my analytical nature tends to work against me in the fact that as as you just called out on that joke I'm not a romantic person like that that thing that you see in movies where like the girl has just walked in the room and the guy is just captivated his attention has been arrested like that is almost me never about anything because I'm in my head about everything else already and I I would like to offer more of that attention in a focused set so that's something I'm working on. And weirdly enough, for what I just said, the thing I would like to receive is a lot more belief. 
And I don't think it's because like Katie doesn't believe in me, but the same thing that is driving me to say like, hey, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good partner here is also my own insecurity saying like, give me some credit. And mm. so like I need, I weirdly need a, a certain amount of like love and support despite the size of my self-confidence. And I haven't totally negotiated why that imbalance exists, but I think Katie could always kind of understand that in me, even when things were rough, and her standing by me through a lot of rough times. It's kind of why I've evened out and been a better person in my 30s than I was in my late 20s. It's not just maturation. It's, it's like real support. So, I don't know. I, I barely answered the question, but that's all the yeah. stuff it sparked. Thanks, as always. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, uh, as as the seven lung, seven five, whatever love languages, words of affirmation would rank high on your list. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, I just want to hear yeah. that I'm that I'm great. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, so Trent, the way we typically wrap up, man, we we um we'll drop a, a recommendation out there. It can be something you've purchased it can be something you've you you've done lately you know whatever and since i've dropped that on you i'll go first and we can go to, it's, it's like ordering at a table like you're still looking at the menu i'll go first dusty drop something on us and if then if you want to bat clean up you can uh you can drop something out there mine is super easy um and it's simply because i had one today and i'm reminded of how delicious it is I love iced coffee, mm. like especially when it's 95 degrees outside. Like I just love it. Um, and I'm also kind of like once I'm at home, I work from home. I don't really feel like going out to a coffee shop. I don't work well from coffee shops. So Slingshot Coffee. Have you guys ever had Slingshot? I have. So money. Brewed in Raleigh. Um, I actually used to drink it like Back when I thought I was a competitive CrossFitter, I would drink one at about 4 p.m. during the open to jack me up and then post an average score and then not sleep all night. (laughs) um, And they used to sell them like the bottles that were like the mixed and then the concentrate. It was the same bottle. It was like a slightly different color. And uh, one of the guys that used to go to the gym with us, uh, Ken Powers, he was like, dude, I, I accidentally drank the entire thing of, of the concentrate. Like it's supposed to be mi- cut with water. And he's like, I thought it tasted bitter, but he's like, I think I just had like 400 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> I'm just like ready to rage. He also, I think posted an average score with me, but he was definitely, he was gung ho. He was definitely stronger. But anyway, um, I got one of the nitro cans, the nitro brew cans from yellow dog bakery. You can probably get it whole foods, whatever locally. I don't know if you, how far their distribution runs, but if you like iced coffee, boom, shake it up, pour it over some ice. Absolutely delicious. So smooth, no acidity. It's not like I'm doing an ad for them, but but they did. I did at mention them on Instagram and they reshared. So solo or um, slingshot. If you're looking for a sponsor, Looks like we're lost. Podcast is looking for sponsorships. Dallas up. We'll we'll move at least like two cans of slingshot with every episode. I mean, hey, I got Garrett loves it. Or no, Garrett said he wants to give it a try, and Garrett is a coffee person. So, look, 
So sleep. So <laughs> slingshot coffee is my recommendation this week. He's a guy. He's a coffee guy. <laughs> it's a strong pitch. It's a strong Look, pitch. I feel like I just went in there and sold the company. Like I'm, I'm their pitch to go, uh, to go public. Well, great recommendation this week. <laughs> Still uh, sweating from the 150 milligrams I had this morning. I was going to say, I can tell it's getting late. I'm starting to get punchy. Uh, thank you for the recommendation. I'll make sure yep. I put that in bold in the notes. Do it. Uh, my recommendation could not be simpler, since we didn't really get to it on the last podcast, but buy yourself an exciting pair of running shoes. Even if you're only running like 5 to 10 miles a week, it's a very low-level investment for the returns that running brings in your life. And maybe, look, you could adapt this a little bit to a pair of CrossFit shoes, a pair of basketball shoes. But when you decide, like, this is the activity I'm going to do, go get that thing on your feet that is so close to you it feels like it's a part of you. And... Get the thrill of, like, I'm, I'm in it. Like, whatever athlete you see and you think those shoes look good on their feet, get that exact same shoe and put it on your feet. And it does great things for your mind. And it, look, Atomic Habits, James Clear, he recommends just putting the shoes on should be your goal. And I'm actually a big believer in that. If you put the shoes on, you will do the task for which the shoes are designed. I recently purchased the Saucony Endorphin Speed 2. It is the first time I've worn something like other than a Brooks Ghost, like, <laughs> like every other Warren Buffett believer. And I feel awesome. I still save them just for like the faster runs and not... Not when I'm just like plodding a zone two, just so I can like keep the thrill alive for a few more weeks. But yeah, that's it. Great pair of shoes. I love that. I'm a sh- you know I love my shoes, man. And anytime I I'm hitting a lull, like if I feel like I'm hitting a lull at the gym, I'll snag a new pair of shorts or a pair of shoes, and it like reignites the flame to get out there and do it again. Uh, yeah, just, or even just a pair of socks, like just something new. Just imagining other people seeing you in the fresh drip. Man. Oh yeah. And and the good and the good especially in a CrossFit gym, the good coaches will notice and they will call it out. Absolutely. Huge New props. shoes. Trent, you got anything for us? Yeah. Uh if I have a bird dog, which is an uncommon thing, he looks like yeah, that. Awesome. Bigger now. That was puppy bird dog. And I got him a uh a GPS collar this week, a Garmin Alpha is what it's called. Um, I've lost him, I think, four times, usually related to deer. And um, and that's very terrifying. And so uh, now I can, I can see him on the topography map. I can see how far away he is from me. And, uh, and it does all the other things his usual e-collar does. That's such a good, obvious idea that I've never thought of before. Yep. Yeah. Tells me how far he runs when he, you know, we're out. It's fantastic. That's awesome. I feel like I I would be a much better dog owner, just like getting the miles up. I love seeing seeing the data. (laughs) 
probably. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't have to. He, he will run. You don't have to worry about him running. He will run. It's he'll, he the, gets his steps in. Dusty, this, this dog is. I mean, he's a perfect looking dog. My my favorite thing about him, besides his markings, is his name. Frank. <laughs> I love when a dog has a human name. It's yeah. something about it that's just like fantastic. Well, it's Francesco of Coronation is his, okay. his actual fantastic. name. But yeah, we need a single syllable name his... to take command, so it's Frank. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I can't imagine you, uh, you know, ha- having him like drop a duck, being like Francisco. Of... <laughs> it's sort of a mouthful, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "What are you saying? Did you say treat? I don't know what you said." Which is man. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Trent, well, Trent, I gotta dude, say, yeah. yeah, thanks a ton for coming on, man. I feel like, I mean, this this is somewhat true with with a lot of guests, but I feel like I, like we've been talking for almost two hours, and I feel like I only got like a scratch on the surface of all the the things that you're invested in and interested in, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, appreciate. Couldn't agree life. more. Couldn't agree more, man. Well, dude, we've—you might have beat Garrett on the on the lengthiest pod. You might have just done it. Is it not quite there? I don't know. We're gonna have to. I'll, How long do I'll we need to guys. let it sit so that I can <laughs> yeah, right. text and rub it in his face that we broke his record? We're right on it. It's close. We're right on it. I think, in the spirit of uh, you know, fair competition. Yeah, because I I legitimately don't know. I'll have to I'll have to look when we. Well, it usually only comes down to just a few seconds. It's, it's pretty close right. usually, that's, but he gets me true. most of I the think time. It is. He talks a little slower. Yeah, yeah. Wilmington. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, Trent, dude, we really appreciate it, man. Really do, and it was great to catch up with you. Now, we, the next step is we really need to do this in person. Absolutely. So let's do that. Let's do that. All right, boys. All right, y'all. Hey, y'all have a great night. Same. Try to get, try to get eight hours. It's gonna be tight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right, y'all. Have a good night, See guys. You guys. See you. See you guys.